0: hello i'm rachel lyman and we want to welcome you to interfaith connection a spiritual life center monthly podcast dedicated to the interfaith exploration of faith traditions that promote love our study will allow us to build bridges of understanding acceptance love and peace my partner in so many ways on this journey is rev dave lyman Senior Minister for the Interfaith Explorers. He's an ordained interfaith minister and my beloved husband. This year, we will be on a grand adventure of exploring interfaith, and we're so excited that you have joined us. So buckle up and get ready for our 2021 adventure with today's podcast.
1: Hi, this is Reverend Dave Lyman, and today on Interfaith Connection, we're going to look at interfaith in the Sacramento region. I'm excited to be interviewing two interfaith activists in the Sacramento area. And my first conversation will be with Reverend Michael Moran. (coughs) Excuse my voice. He's got lots of background, but let me share a few thoughts. He and his wife, Faith, co-founded Spiritual Life Center in Sacramento after serving in ministries in California and Oregon, Kansas and Missouri. He has been an interfaith activist in the region and in the midst of it all. He's a great Irishman and a friend of mine. Michael, welcome this morning. Thank you, David. It's good to see you again. It's good to be seen. And what I wanted to start off with is I've never met anyone with such a burning passion for interfaith. How did that start, Mike?
2: You know i've been thinking about that question uh when we chatted on the phone the other day and for me it started a long time ago i mean back when i was a child but i didn't even know what interfaith meant but um, when i got into uh, college um, i was introduced to a radio or television show on sunday mornings called challenge and I had pretty much left the religion of my childhood and was searching for something else. Um, and this program challenge was with a rabbi by the name of uh, Rabbi Raphael Levine, uh, a Catholic priest. They were best friends, Father Michael Tracy. And I thought, well, that's very cool. I was you a know, former Catholic. And then the third chair was reserved for a member of another faith and they would just respectfully dialogue with each other and i thought wow if i could find something like that you know that would be wonderful and then fast forward a few years later and i'm working at a radio station in seattle and there's a group of people that i really liked the way they showed up in life and how open they were and I, i kept asking them you know where do you go? And they said, well, we go to Unity in Bellevue. And so one day I decided that I was going to go to Unity of Bellevue to find out what this was all about. And I walked in that day and it changed my life because it was a very open ministry. The uh, first time I'd ever seen a woman minister. And after I'd been going there for a while and getting more and more involved in the church, I went up to the minister, Kay Arndt, and I said, I want to know more about this. Where do I start? And she said, Follow me. And she walked me into their library, which had a section on Islam, Hinduism, Christianity, New Thought, Buddhism. And she said, Start here. And I said, Well, do you recommend? She goes, No, start. Spirit will direct you. And I can't tell you how exciting that was for me to be given permission to think, to question, to go wherever spirit led me. And uh, you know, and I did start reading and taking classes on the different religions. And that's also, Dave, where I met my late wife Faith. And um, years later, as we're going on one of those dates where you're really getting to know each other. And we went up on the Canadian border and we were on Glacier Creek and we spread a, a picnic blanket there pulled out our bottles of wine and started that getting to know you kind of dialogue. If you could, if you would, if you, what would, and I asked her, I said, if you could do anything, what would it be? And she kind of paused for a moment got a funny look on her face and she goes, I I want to be a unity minister. And I went, Oh my God, so do I, you know? And I had never uttered that. I'd never told anybody because it was so far out of the realm of possibility. But that started a dialogue that day on the banks of Glacier Creek where we said, if you could create a ministry from scratch, not what you've inherited from thousands or hundreds of years, but from scratch, what would it look like? And we started talking about a place where, people from all different faiths or no faith could come in and share with each other and not try to convert each other, but to learn from each other. And that just began with that. Once that seed was planted, uh, you know, it. every ministry that we took had that thought in mind, a place where people can love and serve and remember together and not worry about converting somebody to my way of belief or my version or concept of God. And that just evolved over the years uh, in a wonderful way. And it eventually brought us back to Sacramento because we had been there for a couple of years in the early nineties and we fell in love with Sacramento.
1: So let me interrupt there. Um, I told Rachel, "You truly did find faith." I did find faith. In yeah, your, in your I, exploration, I went um, to I went to church looking for faith, and I
2: found faith. In a <laughs> beautiful, beautiful package.
1: There you go. Um, didn't and also you you and faith become very very close to Rabbi Levine.
2: We did that uh, same rabbi that I used to watch when I was in college. Uh, he was a, a frequent speaker. Uh, he looked just like Colonel Sanders, a little a short Colonel Sanders. And he had a cane that he called his conscience, that on that cane was carved whatever is hateful to you, do not do to another. And so one Sunday, Rabbi Levine was scheduled to speak at uh, Unity of Bellevue, and the place would be just a room only. And uh, they asked, I got a call from, from the, ch- the church office. And they said, you live uh, in this such area, don't you? And I said, yeah, I do. And she goes, well, that's where Rabbi Levine lives there. I wonder, could you pick him up this Sunday? Uh, because his ride has fallen through. He couldn't drive. And I went, what? Of course I can. And so I picked him up in my little sports car. And, you know, he uh, I was driving him to church and, and just gushing all over him. And uh, Rabbi Levine and Faith and I and his wife, you uh, uh, became very, very close friends and had dinner together many times and bought uh, Riva Levine's paintings. And when Faith and I were married, we were married by a unity minister, Rabbi Levine, and suppo- we were supposed to have a Catholic nun, but she busted her knee up. So she couldn't oh, be. Oh, there even. you go. Yeah.
1: And so how did you end up in Sacramento? That's That's pretty, maybe briefly share a couple stories about <clears> that, because <throat> I know there's some divine guidance there.
2: Oh, it was, uh, well, as I said, the first time was in 92 when Phil and Dorothy Pearson called us to come down and uh, go in partnership with them and become senior associate ministers, which we did. And then uh, after a couple of years, uh, things shifted a bit and we were called to Unity Village to become international retreat directors, which we did. And then we went to uh, Living Enrichment Center. Huge interfaith ministry in uh, Portland, Oregon, in that port- or area. And, uh, you know, our thirst for interfaith just continued to grow. And one day, Faith and I decided that we needed to kind of strike out on our own. So Unity of Bellevue, which is the church that we met and served, they called us and said, would you all come and uh, be our new senior ministers? And we uh, we accepted and I thought, wow, and and then the night before we were we we're gonna call and, and offer our acceptance, Faith said, Michael, we're not supposed to be there. We're supposed to be in Sacramento. And I said, Faith, we, we can't go back to Sacramento. There's no church for us in Sacramento. She goes, we need to go to Sacramento. That's where we're called to be. And she finally wore me down. And I thank God she did, because I, I remember I would think, there's no church, there's no there's no salary, there's no this. And the spirit within me would just keep saying, it's already there. It's already there. But if you don't go, you'll never know that. And so Faith and I accepted, you know, nothing, no church, no place to go. And uh, it started in Ken and Swinford's backyard. You know, where a group of people said you need to come back to Sacramento.
1: Tell and the story. You... Tell the story, Michael, about the grocery store and sitting in the parking lot.
2: Well, that was interesting. Uh, yeah, uh, we were uh, we'd come back from from living in Richmond Center to do a wedding, and the wedding was over, and Ken and Gaya Swinford were throwing a barbecue for us with a lot of our former friends from uh, 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 Christ Unity Church and other people that we knew. And as we were in their backyard, oh, on the way there uh, from the wedding, we stopped at Lucky Foods um, to get something to bring to the barbecue, a can of beans or whatever. And uh, Faith said, Michael, we're supposed to be here in Sacramento. I said, I think you're right, Faith. I'm feeling it as well. And so Faith and I prayed a prayer in the parking lot of Lucky Foods. And the prayer was spirit. Speak to us in a way that is so clear that it leaves no room for for doubt. Speak to us in a way that is so clear, crystal clear, that it will leave us speechless with wonder and joy and gratitude. And we let go of each other's hands, got out of the car, walked into Lucky Foods. And a woman wearing a brown workout suit turns. She goes, oh, my God, it's Michael and Faith. And we looked at her and uh, said, yeah. And I thought, well, she had to go to Christ unity. And she goes, oh, my God, what are you doing here? And she goes, please tell me you're coming back. And Faith and I just looked at each other and thought, wow, that that leaves no room for doubt. And so on our way to Ken and Gaya, oh, and by the way, that woman never attended <laughs> you know? She was like an angel. She was like a she was a drop-in, can can drop in, and I never drop in for a moment. moment. Yeah, never saw her again. But we went to their a barbecue, and everybody kept uh, telling us, you know, come down, we can do this. And we thought, you know what? It's now or never. And spirit couldn't be clearer. And this is a group of people that we absolutely adored. And as Faith and I are driving down to take, assume our new positions as pioneers of SLC, you know, I turned to Faith and I said, you know what, Faith, this is either the the craziest or a more most enlightened thing we've ever done. And she said, let's go for enlightenment.
1: (laughs) And what did they call the group at uh, SLC?
2: Oh, they called us um, um, uh, Mystics, Misfits, and Mavericks. And I always loved that because you know, a mystic is one who wants to have a direct experience of spirit or of God or whatever you want to call it. And uh, a misfit is somebody that doesn't fit in the old way anymore. And mavericks, by definition, are ones that have left the herd mm-hmm. and set out on their own to discover their path. And uh, that's, that, 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 those words seem to resonate because I think SLC was and is filled with mystics, misfits, and mavericks.
1: There is a futurist from South America named Jason Silva. And he coined a term that he said we should live in constantly. And that is we, he said, we should aspire to be wonder junkies. We should be, we should aspire to be filled with wonder and awe at everything. Exactly, and, and that's what I think part of that match mystics, misfits, and mavericks was about, because those were that the entire Camelot group, yeah, were searchers.
2: Yeah, those so, were mad, magical days, absolutely magical days.
1: So let's expand that a little bit, Michael. What what suddenly you're in Sacramento and you have this amazing group of people and at the same time you dive into interfaith in the community oh yes you start getting involved and so what was that like because you guys came from out of town and suddenly there you were getting involved and by the time i was working with you 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 had a lot of tight connections with a lot of spiritual leaders from different faith traditions
2: yeah and that was very intentional from the very beginning um, I really, you know, we, we parted from unity for a little while, and that gave us a freedom to create that ministry that we saw on Glacier Creek up at the Canadian border. And that's exactly what we set out to do. So I became involved with the Interfaith Service Bureau, met a lot of the, the, the interfaith leaders in Sacramento, uh, got involved with uh, Dr. Metwally Ammer at uh, Salaam. And uh, Jeff Von Kanel, you know, knew everybody. And so our, our mission statement was to love, to serve, and to remember, to love God with, with all your being. And how do you do that? Through service to one another, humanity, and to remember that regardless of our faith or race or creed or any of that, that we are one people. And so we decided that we wanted to base our ministry on service, and to involve as many faith partners as possible in these projects and and services, so that we could build bridges of trust and understanding between diff- people of different faiths, and uh, so that was you know that was the idea that we set in motion, and it seemed to be the right message at the right time with the right group of people. Uh, People were so ripe for that.
1: Can you segue into how that uh, transpired, the vision that suddenly there was a Habitat House that uh, Faith visioned and you guys got involved in?
2: Oh, yeah. We, about two years into the ministry, we, our board had a retreat. And uh, as part of the retreat, I don't know if I was leading this exercise or somebody else, But we were, you know, picturing five years, 10 years. And somebody said, in 10 years, how will we have known? What do we need to see to know that we we stayed on purpose? And people started calling out different things. uh, Interfaith retreats, interfaith camps, this and that. And faith called out an interfaith Habitat for Humanity house uh, that we will pay for and organize. And I, I just thought, whoa, because she had a real love for habitat. But I thought, boy, that's big. And fortunately, uh, you know that that went up on the board, and it became one of our guiding principles. And fortunately, we had, you know, somebody like Ken Cross and Michael Gordon and a, a bunch of other people that knew how to do this. And we brought in the, the Sikhs, the Buddhist, uh, Jews, uh, Christians you know uh Hindus all contributing over a one year period to building this habitat for interfaith habitat for humanity house and the very walls we sent to the different synagogues boudoirs mosques temples and the people would write their prayers in their language or in just their their prayer from their tradition and those went into the the structure of that building and we called it the house that prayer built. And there were prayers from all different faiths.
1: And I don't know if you remember, Michael, but I remember a Saturday where you and I were putting those walls up, those drywalls up, with our 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 hammers and nails, as the construction people looked on in horror and got a repair team to follow us as we put up things. I do remember that. You were my partner in crime that day. Yeah, we got into a lot of trouble. It was humbling to see our work come down. <laughs> yes, it was, or or be have other nails added to it. Exactly. So, interfaith. When you when I met you and when we started in the late '90s and, and early 2000s, um, interfaith was kind of off in the distance in many ways. <clears throat> yeah, and it has become the buzzword, the catchphrase. Right you know the the Pope had an interfaith prayer day where everybody came to to the Vatican and prayed. Um, what do you see ahead for Interfaith, Michael? You know
2: it's really the spiritual landscape it has changed and is changing so much. Um, and the way that we connect is changing so much. With the pandemic, you know, we're not able to come together as we did. At that time uh, to have shared service projects for the common good of the whole community regardless of their faith and uh, it's hard for me to see uh, what the future for interfaith is i'll tell you what gives me a a great deal of hope however and we've been forced into this what you're doing right now Um, you know you're broadcasting out these ideas people are live streaming on sundays from their temples and mosques and churches, um, and I think that with the access that the internet has offered us, that we are becoming more interfaith because we have access to information we never had before, and it's right at our fingertips. And so, uh, you know, it's hard for me to say what is the future for interfaith. I think you're a part of the future for interfaith. What you're doing. And uh, I'm kind of interested, I believe in divine order, and I don't know where this is going. I knew how to do it in my time. By bringing people together in service projects, that's not possible right now. You know, we used to have interfaith classes that would draw hundreds of people, and you can't do that now. But um, you can via internet. Uh, for instance, Gay and I, we uh, subscribe to David White series on Sunday mornings. Uh, great poet, Irish poet, and uh, philosopher, and so we're getting spiritually fed that way through Unity of Court d'Alene, through Richard Burdick's church. You know, so we're we're able to reach out in ways that we never could
1: before. Yeah, yeah. Sunday mornings. Uh... In our house, we go see Ken Daigle, we go see James Trapp. We, it's just wonderful because oh, this entire landscape of wonderful um, leaders speaking interfaith. It truly is. It really is. So so as we come near the end, Michael—well, not the end, it's really just the beginning— um, one of the people that you worked with was Richard Montgomery, who recently passed away, who was a force in interfaith in oh. Sacramento. Yeah, uh, can you share a memory with, about with, you know, with Richard? Well,
2: I I served on the uh <clears throat> uh Interfaith Service Bureau Board of Directors for many terms and Richard was uh, was president on one of those terms. So we spent, you know, hours and hours and hours together uh planning different interfaith events. But one that I do remember, we were trying to think of an interfaith service project that we could all get involved in and uh Richard was uh, with the LDS Church. Uh, I'm, I, I think I know he was an elder and w- way up there. Uh, brilliant man and just the nicest guy. Uh, and he said, "Well, you know," he said, "the LDS Church. We have a canning facility." And he said, "What if we, what if we all got together, Jews and Christians and Hindus and Buddhists and." you know, whatever SLC is <laughs> and we canned applesauce and we all went, wow, that's a great idea. And that's exactly what we did. They donated all the apples, the whole facility. We candled, uh, 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 uh thousands of cans of applesauce that was then distributed to the homeless shelters and, uh, you know food banks
1: and uh, and that was a real fun event i remember that very well i remember that day yeah. and i remember how cold it was in that yes. plant yeah. was we did those apples so michael richard richard montgomery <clears throat> was always the voice
2: of reason mm-hmm. when we would start getting sideways with each other because when you have all these different faiths sitting around the table you get sideways with the other once
1: in a while One of my favorite stories is the one of a group of ministers sitting together, uh, going sideways, back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And I share this with the prayer chaplains. And then suddenly one of the ministers says, hey, wait a minute, let's pray. Yeah. And all the ministers goes, what a great idea. (laughs) Because Uh, we have that. Yeah. Well, Michael, I'm so excited to have reconnected with you in, in a deeper way today. Oh, and you, Dave. But I'd also, knowing that you are a longtime minister, know that you will have some closing words because ministers do. And just remember the thing of blessed be the brief. Oh, yes. Invited (laughs) back. But what message would you want to share about interfaith and life with the Sacramento community as we finish up? You know, I would probably
2: hearken back to things that I felt for for so many years, for decades, you know, the symbol of uh, SLC uh, is the oneness symbol. And Faith and I discovered that at the village, Uh, got in contact with the artist that created it, and then were granted the privilege of reproducing it and selling it. And, you know, it's a symbol of all, not all, but seven of the major faith traditions, um, all together in the same symbol. And Isaac Soltis, who was the artist and creator of that, based that on the Dalai Lama's quote, there will never be peace on earth until there's peace among our world religions. And I believe that with every every cell of my being. And the other thing that comes to mind is what we need. Everybody keeps talking about unity and family. And boy, do we need that today. More than ever do we need interfaith. And our our dear mother, Teresa, you said, you know, the, the the reason that we have no peace on earth is because we have forgotten we belong to each other. We are family and we
1: are family. Thank you so much, Michael. We just finished up a wonderful conversation with Reverend Michael Moran, one of the interfaith activists in the region. And we're going to continue that theme today, talking to somebody that is a former Inter-Serv- Interfaith Service Bureau, before it changed its name, President, who's been active in the community and in Interfaith for 17 years. So I want to introduce today, John Fish. John, welcome.
3: Thank you, Dave. Glad to be here.
1: You know, you have been active for a long time. You mentioned 17 years. What kind of differences have you seen from when you first started with Interfaith in the Sacramento region and today?
3: Let's see. One of the things that I think changed is, um, you know, 20 years ago, Interfaith was a broad brush from the Service Bureau. And so, you know, for instance, there were 30 members of the board and you know, it was a, it was a broad brush. And they were just trying to get everybody to love and care for each other. I think as time went on, we really started to focus on specifics. And we'd, you know, go from one house of faith to the other, depending upon what they needed or wanted or we could help with.
1: And I know that you're an active member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, um, which has a, a volunteer church leadership. Everyone is a minister in the church, and so bishops are chosen straight from the congregation. With all the busyness of that and and the active church roles that I know you've had through the years, how in the world did you end up in interfaith?
3: (laughs) You know, I was uh, working for the church, taking care of their buildings and properties and all of those other things. When a, when a green initiative first started and they called and said, you know, they'd driven by and could see that the lawns and the trees and the shrubs looked good and could I come on board to a subcommittee meeting down at St. John's once a month to sort of talk green initiatives. And that's how I got started.
1: And as you went through the process, uh, how long was it before you became a board member?
3: Let's see, about 18 months, I think. I, I did that green part for about 18 months.
1: Okay. And and when you started, it was the Interfaith Service Bureau, wasn't it? It was, yes. And, and I've never known the story about this. How did it end up being the um, Interfaith Council of Greater Sacramento?
3: When I first was elected in the early months, I got on the phone and started calling around to some other interfaith groups first in California, there was a net one down in Huntington beach and LA, of course, the San Francisco, one's a big one. Fresno had one getting a good start. And anyway, in talking to all of them, every one of them was an interfaith council and I said to them, you know, what's the difference? Well, you know, we're counseling together. We meet together to counsel. We, you know, more of a council than we are a bureau. They they all sort of felt like Girl was the Associated Press, you know, sort of thing. So we presented that in a board meeting and talked about it. And a week or two later took a vote. I don't remember exactly how many were there. There were 20 and all but two or three thought Interfaith Council sounded good. So we made the changes, I had to go to the Secretary of State and file new paperwork and all of that. But that's how that unfolded.
1: And, and one of the unique things that I'm not sure I've seen in other places as I've explored and researched is, is the fact that there is a close relationship with uh, Faith TV. Um, yes. In fact, Faith TV was part of the Interfaith Service Bureau. Um, and I'm not sure what the relationship is now, but I know uh, it provides interfaith programming all the time on, on Channel 19, I believe.
3: Yes, and it's still owned by the Interfaith Council, but it's managed by uh, the amazing facts people at Seventh Day Adventist.
1: Ah, ah, wonderful! And and out of that, didn't you end up with a program? It seems to me you did a thing called Thirty Minutes of Faith, and and how did that how did that come about, John?
3: Well, we were talking about how we could spread the word, and we talked about sixty minutes, you know, and how how they focus on a lot of different subjects, but try to, you know, drill down a little bit and get to the core of it all. And so we just kind of came up with 30 Minutes of Faith and went from there.
1: And and can you share, what 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 were some of your favorite memories from 30 Minutes of Faith? Because you really did interview a whole lot of different people.
3: One of the funnier ones that just pops into my mind is, I said to Father Michael Kiernan, do you look like your father? And without even flinching, he said, oh, yes. And he was a handsome man. <laughs> <laughs> and, I I, I, and I laughed and laughed.
1: I can see uh, him saying that. I can see him saying that.
3: And uh, uh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say uh, Sister Libby shed a lot of light on homelessness and all of those sorts of things. Um, Several brethren from the Sikh community, and you know, there was a whole a whole variety of people that brought uh, sweet sweet stories and overview to what they were doing.
1: One of the things that amazes me, <clears throat> John, and and I hope the people that listen to this podcast realize how unique it is. Is there is a diversity and a strength in the faith leaders in Sacramento. You mentioned a couple there. Um, Sister Libby has been a rock in this community for a lot of years. And she's the only one I know that retires and then starts a bicycle ministry for the homeless.
3: Yes. She's She's a remarkably good woman. But there are a gazillion others like her.
1: Yeah, this community is really amazing in how they come together. What are some of the the big events that in that 17 years you were involved with?
3: Oh, dear. Of course, we did a power of one each year, you know, to honor certain people. Um, we did the 8 million meal at Loaves and Fishes. And um, when the Church of Scientology first opened their big open house, we were involved there. We've done... Um, a whole bunch of the legislative days in the cathedral for the legislators as they come to Sacramento in January. Oh, there's, you know, all kinds of, a lot of funerals. Yeah. A lot of feasts, a lot of festivals.
1: One of the unique things that you did, John, that I loved and it became uh, before pandemic, something we did fairly often. Um, And I think we did for, I don't remember if it was the Chamber of Commerce or the Sheriff's Association, where we did an opening faith prayer with uh, faith leaders. Um, And can you share a little bit about how that came about?
3: That came about when um, there was a changeover in law enforcement, all of kind of the same time. The FBI were getting a new special agent in charge. We were getting a new sheriff. We were getting a new chief of police. And we'd been doing those days of dialogue each month. And just before that, we'd done one with law enforcement. And they had shed an interesting light on trafficking and, oh, you know, addictions and a lot of other things. And so that uh, particular program you're talking about got launched out of that.
1: And I I remember it was really quite amazing because I, I think I did it four or five times and there would be eight or nine of us. And each of us would do a short prayer from our our grouping, and then a lot of times we would finish with a general prayer, and it was quite impactful. So I loved
3: it. You know, I got a lot of emails, not even get a little note in the mail and things saying somebody I didn't know had been there on that you know that particular day or week and had loved it and had felt inspired and uplifted. and that was sort of payment for me.
1: I look forward to the days, John, when we can do that again. I hope so. So I wanna generally expand a little bit because one of the things, and uh, I don't know, I didn't write any of this down, John. This is gonna be a surprise for you. Um, in all the events I've been at with you, many times you have stepped into your family tree and quoted your grandfather or your mom or a different family member about life. And, and I saw that in its application in the fact that during your leadership, we never had an interfaith event that didn't start on time and finish on time. And you were very clear about that. And, and you said that had something to do with With your family and what you learned growing up. Can you share a little bit about family and what it means to you?
3: I can, thank you. My father died when I was seven and so I was raised by a single mother and a remarkably strong and decent woman. In talking about that uh, start on time, end on time, one of her favorite sayings was, you have a right to waste your own time but not a right to waste anyone else's. I love it, and, and i heard that from childhood and just grew up and subscribed to it my father's parents lived close by to us and my mother loved grandpa a lot and respected grandma a great deal and and my grandparents were very important to me i had two older brothers who grew up and just became i mean they were good kids growing up and they became really really fine men and all I had to do is kind of watch them and follow after them. And, uh, so I, I was surrounded by, you know, we were taught to laugh and love and sing and pray and study and help and serve and do. And it, you know, it's just a, it's what we did in our family and that's what I grew up doing. So that's how I live.
1: And it came across, I love your explanation. And I have to tell you, I have, uh have borrowed it because as they say mimicry is the highest form of respect i have borrowed uh, your story of the mansion of the of the big house we all live in can you share that that vision of of and it's a it's a beautiful vision of interfaith
3: well you know as you say that my mind races about several places that i've lived and dwelled and heard and talked about. We just, um, when dad died, we moved to a brand new home sitting kind of out in the weeds. And I guess mother got a good deal. And uh, some some years later, she remarried a man who built her a home. Uh, my in-laws always had a nice home. Um, the whole term mansion sort of always stuck with me Dave. from a mansion in heaven and home became part of that again my mother would say you know if you want to see god come home and you know come where it's quiet and we live in peace and we pray and love and care so the whole spirit of the mansion applies to a whole bunch of pieces of the puzzle of my life
1: it really does, doesn't it, John? And and the truth and the fact that there are a lot of different doors. Yes, but they all lead home.
3: Yeah, and, and we always said, you know, we all live in the same house. We just came through different doors. We did, we did.
1: So, as an interesting thing has happened in the last uh, month or six weeks. We've lost three board members, long time not current board members, but people who've been longtime members and active in interfaith. Um, Richard Montgomery, uh, Bishop Ron Allen, and uh, Diane Root. And I wondered if you had some memories of those uh, three, because you definitely did a lot of serving with them in different
3: places. I do have some memories, and thank you for asking that. Richard and I graduated from the same high school Wow. He just graduated, he graduated 15 years ahead of me.
1: There
3: you go. Oh, so I knew his family. His youngest sister was a close friend of mine. A whole bunch of those things long before we ever came to California. Uh, when, I, when I got here, I fell in with some of my service in the state presidency, and he was a state president. We were at region councils together and all of those other things. Dennis Holland, you may remember, was involved in a lot of uh, interfaith family research, and they were doing, uh, you know, the African American soldiers and a whole bunch of those things. So um, I called him Dick growing up. Uh, Richard, you know, had known each other since I was a young kid, and he's just a good guy. You know, he came here in the Air Force and stayed and you know, made a mark. He, he, he liked to help people. He was a happy man. He grew up on a farm. He knew how to work, knew how to work hard. We used to laugh about uh, branding, you know, when it was time to brand cattle. Boy, and the cattle didn't want that. And of course, right. our fathers did want it. And, you know, that was quite a deal. Uh, Bishop Allen, who, by the way, uh, his memorial service will be this coming Saturday. He was... Um, you know, a terrific, high personality, Christian man. He had battled some drug addictions in his earlier years and overcome all of that. Married really well. Lady Gail's a terrific woman and they have wonderful children and grandchildren. And he just, he'd walked a long path and he, he knew the route and he knew the drill and, you know, he wanted to help people get to heaven, Diana. Um, she was one of the first Jewish women I met, I had met quite a few of the men. And then I went to a Jewish event and she was there and she was, uh, so cordial and happy and pleasant. And we became friends. I think that very night, and, uh, I had just talked to her on the phone a few weeks ago. And then, uh, you know, she didn't say anything about being sick or any of those things. I was really surprised when I'd heard of her passing. They all three believed that we all ought to love each other. We ought to get along and we ought to help each other. And we're all children of God. You know, they all had the same thing.
1: It's so interesting for me that in this community, um, we're at a point in time where wherever we turn, there's a lot of chaos. There's a lot of things going on. And uh, one of the things I love about you is you go straight to the foundation of the truth. Um, so with interfaith, what, what do you see for the future? What do you see in your? what are your hopes of uh, us growing as spiritual beings?
3: Let's see, I'm going to make a little longer story out of this than it probably ought to be. But I want to make the point. When I was growing up, the only person of color I knew was a Navajo Indian and then, and I went to high school where everybody was Caucasian. When our children were going to high school here in Orangevale at Casa Roble with a couple of thousand students, there were a whole bunch of people who were not just, you know, an American Caucasian boy or girl and our kids, they, they didn't see any of that. They liked the diversity. They liked that people came from different cultures and backgrounds. They found that, found that exciting and, and pleasurable and they went out and helped and did and a lot of different things. Then when our grandkids came along, Dave, and we have grandkids who have a uh, skin of color, but when they came along, if you'd go to one of their little PTA presentations, a lot of the little Caucasian kids would be in the minority There were Asian kids and Islander kids and African-American kids and Native Americans, and, you know, they were everywhere. And, and none of the grandchildren saw anything different than he was just a boy or a girl, a friend in my class. And, and I've always loved that. And so I think, I think the future is we will, we will meld and mold together more and more and more. And I hope we'll get past are sometimes racist ideals. I think the downside is that I worry a little bit about is uh, people who go to church are declining. Everybody wants to just find their own faith in the outdoors or at the ocean or, you know, whatever it is they're doing. And um, it used to be that if you had a 50% of your enrollment coming to church, you were just sailing right along. These days, if you've got twenty-five percent, people are really, really happy. And there's a lot of churches in Sacramento, and I'm, you know, staying in the circles who are clear down to fifteen percent. Yes. If everybody on their rolls come to church, uh, that concerns me. But that fifteen percent can still make a big difference. I think. Yeah. Well, fifteen percent of good can go a <laughs> long way.
1: It's an interesting thing to me that um, the first time I heard of the poll was probably 20 years ago. They asked people, and it's just been growing, where people say, I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. And and like you, I think one of the difficulties of that is that we can find our personal divinity, but we can't do it alone. We, we need the feedback of other people on the path with us. Whatever that may look like, and and I think that's part of the growth. That's part of the diversity. That's part of that's part of what Rachel does when she says, "Let's get together and and go visit the Gurdwara, or when we came visited the the temple before it was open. It, it's getting to know the different doors because they're so interesting.
3: And you know, what? in the spirit of the diversity, when I first moved to Sacramento 40 years ago, I heard a lot of Sacramento was really diverse and they are, but I don't think they're any more diverse than Atlanta or New York or Los Angeles or Seattle. You know, there's a lot of diverse places, but I think if we can turn diversity into unity, then it'll be a wonderful, wonderful gift. I think that can happen. I'm optimistic that can be. I agree. I agree. Last year,
1: the Pope had a Vatican Day of Prayer where there were uh, Muslims and Hindu and um, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. There were people from all faith traditions um, who got together and prayed much like the group that you put together to open some events.
3: So as we, are, we, go ahead. we are children of God, Dave. We're all children of God. Oh, amen he amen that. And he's no respecter of person, so he loves you and me the same and you know all of that. People just have to learn to come to that and, and to walk by faith. I think a lot of that takes faith. It does. You, know, you, don't, have to, you don't have to prove everything. It's okay to just believe and go forward and, and act as a believer.
1: It does, and, and and we forget, we we find it easy to see the magnificence in each other. And well, sometimes we forget to see the magnificence within ourselves. Well said. And and John, so as we come to a close, is there anything you'd like to close with today? And I really appreciate this time. Um, you know, we're, we're really have a flavor between you and Michael of, of the interfaith in the last 20 years in Sacramento and some of the events and some of the things that have happened. So anything you want to close with?
3: Well, keep doing what you're doing, Dave, because you and Rachel are doing a good work. And there's a host of people who are. And I I think, you know, even though we might worry a little bit, as long as we don't surrender, <laughs> if we keep plugging one foot in front of the other and keep doing, because there's still a whole bunch more good people on the earth. Amen to that. There are those who are not so good. And I,
1: the, the theme that comes to mind always is Maya Angelou said, um, you know, what we sometimes forget is that there are no problems that are bigger than God.
3: That's true and, story.
1: And so we just take our breath and surrender and accept and move forward. Yep. Yes. And so, John, thank you for being here today. Um, it's been a chance to talk to both of you. Later in the year, we're going to have a podcast where we're going to actually, uh, and Edrin uh, who is the president of the Interfaith Council, does not know this, but I'm going to be contacting them about doing uh, a podcast about the current board and what the next steps are, and what the future they're looking at. So we have gone right up and down the line looking at interfaith. Wonderful. And Keep then up just, the- thank you. And you have a wonderful, wonderful day, John.
3: Thanks, Dave. Take care.
1: You take care, too.
0: Thank you for joining us today to experience and explore a deeper understanding of our interfaith look at the world. Our next podcast will be available the last Friday of the month, but we want to hear from you, so send us your comments, questions, and suggestions to interfaith at slcworld.org. That's interfaith at slcworld.org, because we want to know about your interfaith art. So let us all remember as we go on our different paths that Gandhi said, a peaceful exploration of all faiths is our sacred duty.